Hi there. Welcome to Mushroom Hour. Today on Mushroom Hour, we are so grateful for the opportunity to interview biologist Nelson Duenas, who is a member of the MycoMaker Project in Ecuador. MycoMaker is an organization that was born in the minds of biology students in late 2016 and was founded by Nelson in early 2017. Their clear purpose was standardizing mushroom growing techniques that are easy to reproduce and share with their community. They created a cultivation tech using just a humble flower pot and even codified new mycelium expansion techniques using the Genoderma or Rishi mushroom. Along with these cultivation techs, the MycoMaker team was keen to explore the potential of mycelium as a biomaterial. Apart from their work in the lab, Nelson's band of mycophiles also forage for fungi in the Mashpee and Yasuni region, finding cordyceps and bioluminescent fungi. The most important commitment of the MycoMaker project is to share with their community the importance of the fungi kingdom and its many applications. Nelson, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for having me. That intro was was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was an amazing intro because you guys are doing a lot of amazing things. And I'm excited <laughs> to hear more about everything, really, from the work you're doing with Mycotectura, the work you're doing in cultivation, making it so everyone can grow mushrooms. Yeah. But where I want to start is another topic of fascination for me, the story of Nelson. How did you get into mushrooms? Were there any influences at school or family or what pushed you to be obsessed with nature and, and mushrooms? Yeah, well, in, in my early days in school and high school, not really. I just loved to play soccer, the, the sports and stuff. So I remember my father bought me a a microscope, a, a toy, this microscope, uh, like, like a toys, but I don't really use it. Uh, he, he likes uh, science and stuff, but it wasn't like a, a great influence, you know, but when I started to study in the university biology, for the first time, I think I met the, the, the forest as a, maybe as a concept, right? The, the forest in the Amazon. So in this uh, forest, I met not, not only the, the mushrooms, but the forest, yeah almost the forest as one being or one yeah. organism full of so many other organisms yeah because of, of the of the plants and the animals and in these kind of places that we travel to were so so diverse in an ecological way it's amazing to to see and experience the forest and then concentrate in the in the mushrooms that was amazing for me because i i didn't know a, a thing about it and a lot of that formative interaction with the forest and with mushrooms happened in the Yusuni there in the Amazon. Yeah, in the Amazon, the Yasuni forest. So I, I took a, an optional uh, class of about uh, mushroom biology and I met them for, for the first time because in that time I, I have read a, a lot of, well, not a lot, but a few things about mushrooms. I remember that the first thing I saw or, or, or I learned about mushrooms was a friend of mine recommended me this video of, of Paul Stamets' TED Talk. <laughs> so I saw that and I didn't know any about mushrooms. So I, th I thought, this man is crazy. And I, I don't know if this <laughs> is real. So I investigate, I research about it, and I'm still researching. That's, that's the way 
And well, yes, in, in Yasuni, I, I met the, the Martians for the first time, and that's the Cordyceps group was the the ones, there is a lot of Cordyceps in Yasuni. This is a very diverse place, one of the most diverse in the in the, in the the planet, but uh, a lot of Cordyceps. So we find like 18 species or so with a lot of friends and the, well, the, the whole class, yeah. That's amazing. And a lot of mushroom hunters here in the United States do travel to Ecuador, especially yeah. when they're hunting Cordyceps species. Cordyceps. Can you tell me one, well, the name of one of them? Well, Daniel Winkler is someone who I yeah, really yeah, enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he goes to Ecuador and finds cordyceps species. And so his work is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And he's friend of a Colombian researcher, Tatiana San Juan, which is very known here. And I have the opportunity to to study with her in Colombia a lot of these of, well of the diversity and the applications and the cordyceps uh, and both they both uh, daniel winkler and tatiana san juan make these trips amazing trips in colombia yeah in colombian forest now what is it about cordyceps that you love because you said it's your favorite kind of mushroom what is it about cordyceps that that gets you so fascinated when i uh, learn about of your cordyceps uh, unilateralis this one that the zombified ants I really thought that it was it, it was ants, and that's it, right? So in Yasuni, we, we, we collect a lot of different kind of insects and, and spiders and stuff, but a lot of hosts, you know? And for me, it was like an impact to see that much diversity in, the, in these, uh, well, a lot of hosts. And also the, the diversity of strategies they have. We have found cordyceps in because normally they are in a place in an area in the forest with uh, in which they can have uh, enough humidity right to to grow yeah. the, the the stroma but we also have found them in like five meters in the in the trees and this is amazing too one one time a friend of mine found one in Yasuni. In, we have a tower to see like 30 meters tower to see the, the forest and to take pictures and these choruses was in the tower like 20 meters up and well this is interesting uh, not only the the zombified process in the ants but they also do this in other kind of of species of, of hosts they're definitely one of the most unique fungi on the planet i think everyone gets their imagination captured by their ability to zombify bugs and then you learn about how different species of cordyceps target different hosts i'm forgetting the name right now but there's a cordyceps whose host is a tarantula, right? Tarantula, yeah, yeah, Cordyceps caloceroides. I think one of the most interesting or impacting, I don't know if, if that's the word, but impacting things that yeah. I feel about them is that when you found a scenario of, of this kind of mushroom in a tarantula, it's like it's like a movie, it's like a science fiction <laughs> a science fiction thing. There is another one that grows in, in other kind of tarantulas that uh, they made their, their own houses, like like tube houses and yeah and the stroma the, the fruit body they opens the the gate because they have like a gate to receive like a little bit of sun and then sporulates and it's amazing the colors this is red they are orange ones and the stroma and the biology and the peritesios i don't know it's the, the strategies of the of that kind of mushrooms i think they are amazing too yeah I think you hit it on the head perfectly. You think of science fiction already with a tarantula as a big scary insect or a trapdoor spider. 
as a big scary insect, but then to see them with all these bright red horns sticking out of them and being taken over, it really is uh, something out of a movie. So as a biologist and someone who's studied in the Amazon and studied the different biomes in Ecuador, what is it about Ecuador that makes it such a good place for uh, biodiversity and especially mushroom diversity? Is it just the humidity or what are the factors that contribute to making Ecuador such a unique biodiverse place? Yeah, it is like we are a very small country, right? And in this small area, we have a lot of different kind of places, ecosystems that coexist in a very small place. For example, if, if you are in the capital, I don't know, in, in Quito, you are mm. from uh, four hours to the Amazon forest and you are also two hours to a uh, Paramo, which is another kind of ecosystem here in the in the in the highlands, and also you you have a coast and you have the Galapagos Islands, which is well from from Ecuador too, which is like a, a laboratory of uh, evolutionary stuff. We are immersed in these uh, highlands, the the Cordillera de los Andes, which have uh, bring us a lot of different kind of environments. So. This is just uh, interesting. It's not just humidity, it's the geographical situation. And it's all kind of these things that come together in a very small place and bring us a lot of diversity. They have uh, studying uh, numbers in this topic. And they say that we have 6.4% of the species, of well, recognized species of the flora of, of the world. And we have just two, 200 8,000 square kilometers of territory, 200, and that is very small if we compare to the United States, for example, that they, you have 9.8 million <laughs> square kilometers. So that's some something. We also have the, the Chocó region, which goes through Panama, through the south of Panama to well, Colombia, and ends in our north place in, in Ecuador, in which is, uh, well, Mashpi, forests like Los Cedros, Mashpi, which are very special and they have a lot of endemic species, right? Like species that only have occur in, in these in these kind of places. Yeah. Yeah, well that number of six point four percent of flora species for a landmass that I don't know what percentage it is of the earth, but much smaller than six percent. That's yeah, yeah. mind boggling. So it's that mixture of humidity, but also just a combination of a lot of different environments. And when you add in that the Galapagos Islands are part of Ecuador, which didn't hit me until now. I mean, yeah, that's been a hotbed for biodiversity research since the time of Charles Darwin. So Ecuador yeah. just seems like this unique hub of biodiversity that we can learn so much from. And that's why I'm so excited to speak with someone from there who's studying it. Now, you brought, yeah. up, you brought up the Mashpee Forest. This is something I hadn't heard of until I started reading your website, reading about your work. Uh, what is the Mashpee and why is it an important area? Well, this is an important area because they bring not only a lot of diversity, a lot of species in, in animals. Biologists study a lot of uh, amphibians, uh, reptiles, uh, uh, plants. Right now we are also studying the, the mushrooms. As you said, there is a lot of people out there in other countries that are interested in our in these kind of places. Not only diversity, but endemic right the endemic stuff yeah. we uh, this choco place is so unique you can have for example like in flora which is more studied you know we have like 
18,000 species or so. And in this place, we have 4,000, I think, that are endemic of this kind of places. That only so, occur in Ecuador. Yeah, in these places, in these endemic places, yeah. in, the, in the Chocó area. So that is amazing. So that species that only occur in this place. And the other thing is that deforestation is a very big problem because if you say that we have 100% of Ecuadorian forests of the, of the Chocó, now we just have like 39%. So this is bad if you understand the unique diversity that we have here. So we have to protect these this environments. All these studies in, in all kinds of kingdoms, right? Like plantas, well, plants, animals. Well, bacteria, not that much, but fungi, we are getting stronger and stronger in, in this. And we probably don't even know all the amazing endemic fungi, maybe even potentially bacteria in those areas. And that's the no. curse of being someone who's knowledgeable like you are about biology and biodiversity, is that when you see something like deforestation, you really understand the gravity of what you're losing when you talk about only 39% of that region still having forest. Oh, it, less, a, uh -huh. yeah. yeah, and there's a that's a huge loss of species. 4,000 endemic species to that one area is absolutely insane. That is That is hard to even conceptualize there'd be that many endemic species in just that area. Now, are there any efforts by government academia like uh, universities anyone to help with the conservation of that area and i guess with that is there anything that you've been able to organize with to help with conservation of that area yeah yeah we, we are we're doing it uh, here we have a lot of studies or approaches in the animal kingdom for example the, the amphibians and the plants have been a model of study and, and try to protect these places or orchids for example we have a lot of diversity on, on, on orchids that are very interesting plants a, a very interesting group very beautiful group in much in 2017 we found bioluminescent mushrooms but the body the fruit of the of the mushrooms because in the forest in yasuni in the coast in the highlands we have found bioluminescent mushrooms but mycelium like, like in right. leaves and it's very common in, in these forests, but it's not that common, the, the, the body, the fruit body of, of this uh, group. So we have found uh, Mycena in English. Is, so we, yeah, we, Mycena. Yep. Mycena, yeah. And maybe Neonotopanus. We have found five different species in this place, but we need to study more because when we go there, we didn't have an equipment, a gear, you know, yeah. to study them in a... a, a a molecular way so we took a lot of pictures we took a lot of, of notes and uh, we know where they are and so we return with people to transmit this message to thought them that we have this kind of amazing species a tourist project you know uh, not our biologists or scientific people but right. people that really enjoy nature and really enjoy other things and we founded in 2018 and 2019 also. And this year we want to go back to Mashpi to keep studying these these mushrooms. We are going to collaborate with, with some university to really go deep in this diversity topic, right? The DNA, right? We, yeah. we want to see what species we're talking about and do it the whole investigation there. And I think that's such important work because people can't conserve they can't protect what they don't know about yeah. and they don't 
care about conserving what they don't have a relationship with. So you need to get people out into that area, seeing the amazing things you're seeing. They'll have much more desire to protect those things. So that is such a huge part of the work is giving people your perspective to see why it's so needed in terms of conservation. Now, are you familiar with the work of Juliana Ferci there in Chile? Uh, Julie, yeah, yeah, Julie, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, so yeah. her, I couldn't help but think of her work in establishing fungi as one of the new trifecta flora, fauna, funga. Funga, yeah. Uh, is to protect the fungi in these areas. Have you been inspired by her work at all, or is there anyone in Ecuador trying to do those same things within uh, within the government? Yeah, yeah. We in Ecuador, we are like in this place in which mycologists and people who really study mushrooms and enjoy and go to the forest to to learn about about mushrooms and also cultivate mushrooms because we are in this place in which we want to unify our community for yes. for saying that like that. Well, my, my English, as you can hear, is not perfect, but I think we, we can understand. Maybe I have mistakes, but I think it is uh, your understandable. English, your English is great. The transmission is coming <laughs> through very clear. And that is step one, is to bring the community together so then okay, you can yeah. take collective action. So it sounds like that's what you're saying, is getting everyone kind of together yeah. on this. Yeah, and, and the world that Julie has been making in Chile is inspired for not only for Ecuadorian uh, mycologists or people, but all the region, all Latin America region, because put mushrooms in the laws, that is one thing that she and the team and the Fungi Foundation have successfully made. It's amazing, and this is a, a role model that we can also learn and try to apply here in Ecuador. Yeah. And we need to do the same here in the United States. I mean, I brought her up because she's in Latin America, but really she's a model for everyone because no other yeah. country looks at fungi yet when they look at environmental assessment and protecting biodiversity. So that's that's huge work and there's so much to protect there in yeah, Ecuador. And, and also, we were very excited about the Congress. We have a Latin American Congress, Chile this year, but with this thing that we have Fussing through, uh, I don't know, but may maybe online Congress, I don't know, but still, uh, I hope they can do something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope they keep things moving in that direction. Now, where can people? Because we just scratched the surface on Ecuador and the biodiversity there. Where can people learn more about the biology of Ecuador, the mushrooms there? Are there certain people? that have done a lot of work in this area we should know about? Are there books, websites? Where, where can people learn more? Well, I can... Some of my professors have made a beautiful work about uh, diversity and why Ecuador is so unique place and in other kind of works in plants, right? In animals, yeah. in mushrooms also. The, we have people that is uh, publishing, not a lot, you know, not a lot as, as we wanted, but there is information, so I can bring you some links or, or stuff too. And I'll put those in the show notes for people that do want to learn more yeah. about Ecuador. And of course, they need to visit Mycomaker because you guys are doing some of that work and they can learn more by following Mycomaker. Yeah, yeah, we have a, we are making our webpage. It's not already complete, but I am going to tell you when this is done. Perfect. Hopefully when all that's done, we'll do another show. But before that, oh, yeah. let's get more into Mycomaker because you okay. guys are doing a lot of great work. 
a lot of important work, I think, when it comes to making fungi more accessible for people and exploring other uses for people in their day-to-day -day life. But yeah. as a starting point, who are some of the team members that are part of Mycomaker and how did you guys find each other? Yeah, well, in the early times, uh, Esteban Navarro, uh, Camilo, uh, well, I don't know, uh, Envy, uh, Erika Caicedo were friends that just wanted to learn, right? Just wanted to learn. We went to cultivate mushrooms. We don't know any about them. So we just gathered together and start, you know, the first culture we made was this. We have a, a very known place in, in the highlands here in, in Ecuador in which you can find psilocybic mushrooms. We have the opportunity that our first uh, culture of the uh, wild mushrooms was these psilocybin cubensis here in, in this place. And we grow it, that, that was the first one. And we really enjoy it. We really learn a lot and about mushroom cultivation. And then we started to learn about oyster mushrooms and raisin mushrooms. But I think the most important thing that we wanted to do with Micromaker is share, share, uh -huh. share yeah. the experience, share the, the beauty of this, share the magic of these organisms. And right now our team, well, we have Esteban Navarro, which is the, the person that we um, cultivate psilocybin mushrooms in, in the uh, 2015. Uh, Fatima Regi, which is a, a industrial designer that is amazing because I never thought that in the team we can have this kind of, of people, right? And also Cristina Lituma, she, she helped us with the marketing. Mariana Duque, which is a biologist that helped us a lot also. And uh, Nacho, bueno, Ignacio, well, we have like six people. Nacho is a biologist, a photographer, and he helped us a lot in that in that way. So this team, our heart is to, to share things that we know. And well, my, my architecture that I have some, some places here, have you cultured some pieces of, of mycelium? Uh, not, not to get the fruit, but to get a pot or to get some stuff. I have not. And I've interviewed Natura Design Studio, which is no? a studio growing mycelium and doing design in England. And of course, okay. I'm in San Francisco. So one of the guys really well known for that here is Phil Ross. Oh yeah, Phil and Ross. I think Phil Ross inspired, if I'm not mistaken, Mycotectura was something you got from Phil Ross. Yeah, we we tell it in the in our information because he it brings I don't know this word that I I really enjoy I really love it because to me is like Mycotectura. I, I think about the ants. I don't know if that have any sense, but the the culture the mushroom cultivation ants. Yes. Mycotector yeah. is like a lot of beings cultivating something, some structure from mycelium, and it goes from architecture, right? But right. I think it's a very beautiful word, mycotecture. We don't have so much information in Spanish, micotectura. So we wanted to, to bring this word in Spanish and try to put in some stuff. We really are inspired about Philip Ross. Microworks is an amazing company. They're doing a lot of amazing work. They just did a big release of a Rishi leather that looks fantastic. But I'm yeah. seeing behind you, uh, people listening can't see this, but I'm seeing behind you flower pots, cactus inside a pot of mycelium. So you guys are actually using this to create everyday objects. 
Yeah, that's that's the aim. Really, we want to to investigate the the biology, physiology, and and also the ecology that have these species that can participate from this technology, right? And try to understand them and share the investigation with artists, designers, architects. And yeah. I, I think this is very powerful because these kind of professionals they don't know that much about this, and they think this is very difficult, this is very expensive maybe, and it is not. So uh, right now we have a lot of people that is interested in, in make studies in our country, and not only biologists, but also artists and designers. For me, that's amazing, yeah. Well, and you need those people to be creative and figure out new ways to use it and new reasons to make more of it. A lot of times we need to find those ways of using it that are commercially viable or are viable for a business and that lets you really push the research forward so a lot of times you need people to to bring down the big idea we all get excited about put it into reality and then it drives a lot more innovation and development i guess what projects are you guys working on now with the mycelium material i mean i have a million questions about this but what are the things you're making now first we have a as you said a concept in which people could understand not only that these things are uh, biodegradable, right? right? And it is good for the planet and for the, it's a solution, right? But also they have to know that they can use this thing and maybe mycelium is going to be a everyday material. And that's the future of, of mycelium. But it would not, right now we really enjoy mushroom cultivation in the traditional way. So to have the opportunity to to bring this up and culture things that things that we want to culture not not only for selling them not only for proving something but because of we we can and we enjoy constructing with mycelium so the mycotecture project started in that way and we we bring alive a canvas I think lienzo so this canvas we share it with with an artist in this project we are learning how mycelium interact with different kind of art materials, painting materials, I don't know how to say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. so I'm using mycelium to grow a canvas that a painter could use. Yeah, and, and in that way, understand how long this painting really, really, uh, how much they last, because they have a lot of tools for painting, right? And also we have to cultivate in that way uh, different species in this canvas. Because we have reishi, we have pleurotus, oyster mushrooms, and also we <laughs> really my dream is to cultivate a bioluminescent canvas, which is with with this kind of species that I was talking about. Some of them have bioluminescent mycelium, some of them not, but and also cordyceps with Tatiana San Juan, I had the opportunity to interview her, and I I said to her we want to culture a canvas with your cordyceps mushrooms, so. That maybe isn't the best mycelium to grow right. a canvas, you know, but it's interesting, it's connected. And in, in that project, we want to connect art. That's the way. That's terrific on so many levels because the process of making art does have waste involved. So if you can substitute materials for mycelium, something that's biodegradable and sustainable, that's terrific. And I am just in love with the idea of bioluminescent mycelium yeah. making objects <laughs> and cordyceps mycelium making objects because 
it gets to this term that I saw you use when you described your work, whims in mycelium. Things I want to, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, things you want to make. And yeah. so that is really important. You know, I made this point that sometimes you got to find how it's commercially viable to push it forward. But there needs to be a side to it where you are just exploring for the sake of seeing what's possible. We yeah. need to make, you know, work with Tatiana to make cordyceps mycelium objects just to see what happens. There's so much of that in mycology in general. There's so much of exploring just for the sake of exploring that still needs to happen so we can learn things. I love that you're doing, you're doing both. Now, what is the best mycelium that you've used when we're looking at the pots there, the flower pots? What kind of mycelium is that? What species? These pots, we don't think of this as a commercial way to, to make money because we, we need to make money, right? To continue the, the investigation and, and stuff. But maybe we want to, to see these ways, commercial ways, with architecture, uh, maybe panels and maybe blocks or this kind of stuff. But this is really a model of investigation model, the, the pots, because in this we can easily translate, well, not translate, but uh, share how mycelium can do this and also study textures and also study the strength of the mycelium. The question that you ask, if you have a pot of the of pleurotus of oyster mushrooms and you have a pot of ganoderma you can compare the well the properties and the way you feel right because the properties are made a measure in, in numbers right yeah. but i am in love with reishi right i am in love <laughs> with reishi to my architecture and for me it's very interesting that we culture also also the fruit to, to medicine right obviously but it's amazing that these have two applications very important applications so if you don't grow the, the fruit you can preserve the properties of the material and i like very much ganoderma because of this of the browning that well shiitake also have this this feature yeah. and this brings more strength to the material reishi is amazing yeah i think a lot of people have settled on reishi as one of the best mushroom mycelium material options but I love the fact that you're exploring other mushrooms and other species. And so yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the pots that I was seeing there are more of research to figure out which mycelium might be the strongest, but which might have the best texture that we're looking for or which. So that's an important element. And as yeah. part of doing this research and sharing this with people, you guys actually teach courses to people on how to make mushroom materials there in Ecuador. Yeah, yeah. And sharing allows the technology to grow right and allows the, the community to grow and i think this is very important but also we we can't forget the commercial point of view right of these kind of projects because we need to to be profitable uh -huh, yeah that profitable yeah profitable yeah and i think sharing is not the best strategy to be profitable and this is the this is very interesting i think in our community the mushroom community because we share a lot. For example, I have a friend that shared with us, with Esteban Navarro, my, my friend and myself. He shared a lot of, of his work, of his way to see mushroom cultivation. And we also share a lot of, of our investigation. And this is like a lot of people have told me that this is not a very commercial way to see it because <laughs> a lot of people can just do the same and stuff. And it is true, right? 
but I think it's a, a lot of value in share these kind of things because the future of biomaterials, the future of mycelium needs a lot of people to be involved in this. I think that's definitely the right way to look at it, but that is something as your team develops this as a business and wanting to fund your own research, you do have to balance those considerations yeah. on is it okay to share or am I making more competition for myself? Again, that interview where I interviewed the Natura design team, a small studio of three guys in England, you know, they just did what you just said. They committed to being open source, sharing with as many people as possible because it is so new you want to start things off with an environment of cooperation and sharing because that's the way this is really going to move into the mainstream is people sharing that knowledge and spreading it around. But uh, that's definitely something that you must have to, you yeah, and the yeah, team yeah. must have to wrestle with. And, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. This is nice that Fatima and other kind of profiles are going to help us to do this because it's true. We have to balance these ideas. What do you think are some of the future applications for mycotexture and mycelium as a material? I know you talked about panels and building. Do you think we're going to see a world of objects made of mushroom mycelium? Do you think we're going to find out more and more, find new and new properties that will fit and replace things in our daily life? Do you think that's, that's a reality in the future? Yeah, yeah. To read the report of the NASA, I don't know if you have heard about that news, no? No, I haven't. The, I haven't. the NASA released in 2018, a study that they have been working on. They want to colonize the moon and Mars. That's the statement that, that they have, right? And they wanted to, they need a material to grow their environments, right? The, the domes or the, well, domos, I don't know in English, but the domes, yeah. Domes, yeah. And they wanted to do it with mycelium. So they studied monocreotic mycelium and they proposed a way of doing this, a plan, right? And I was like, what? Like NASA is doing these things? They are thinking these, these things? Yeah. And this is interesting because I think in the future we are going to live in mycelium houses. And that is big that you can build from mycelium, from waste. That is amazing. That is revolutionary. That is... I think in the future, mycelium will evolve or tr transform industries, yeah. right? That we are seeing right now, these days, we are seeing that. I am in love with the idea of living in mycelium houses. I know that bricks or panels or I don't know, but imagine a building built from 50% or 70% from mycelium. I think that's a crazy idea. And I think, well, mycelium can do it. That's uh, a sure thing. I was hoping you'd say that because I'm there. I want to live in a mycelium <laughs> house. Actually, my dream is to live in a mycelium dome and to have dome Whoa. structures that we all live in made of mycelium. <laughs> I'm so glad that you see that as a reality on the horizon. And I think this is why more and more people need to be aware of this kind of work and support this kind of work because it has such huge potential and such far-reaching effects that we're going to need to it's going to take a big effort to yeah. really see it reach that potential. So I agree. I think in the coming decades, this is going to be one of the biggest fields of both research and commercial use is mycelium as a material. Yeah, I think through mushrooms, we live in a, a very exciting times. 
Yeah, I think mushrooms, people are realizing that fungi hold a key in so many different ways. I always say that maybe mushrooms won't save the world, but fungi gives us the tools we need to start balancing our relationship with the world. Yeah. Okay, can I ask you a question? I, I know because yeah, I listen the the Yellow Eleanor podcast. Yeah. yeah, I love it. And also Fresh Cup, I want to see more, but and I just want to to know a little bit of your way of of seeing mushrooms as a uh, when you go to the forest. Yeah, how is that for you? So for me, yeah, yeah. when I see mushrooms, there yeah. is a spiritual experience, like I'm communing with another life form an ancient life form because they've been here for so long i think they yeah. have a lot to teach us mm -hmm. and i think they are here as really our allies in finding our way to live in harmony on the planet and i know that's a huge idea but i think people who are into mushrooms are totally there as well so when i find a mm -hmm. mushroom in the forest it's this experience of awe. There's a lot of reverence there. I have a lot of respect for the mushrooms. And, you know, at this point, even just finding one mushroom in the woods has that symbolism. Like I'm communing with this amazing organism that is so important to life on this planet, where sometimes I think mycelium is kind of like the great spirit of nature that we all feel when we're out in the forest. I think mycelium like is that energy that we're feeling out there. I understand. To ask you that question, how does finding a mushroom in the forest make you feel? What's your relationship with, with the mushroom? The concept of the mycelium being, being a thing underground so big and so extensive when we teach this to to the people that have no idea of this it's amazing it's like what it's like what size is this mushroom in my mother's house in the garden they, they have a pine and since i has eight years i think i remember a suilus i don't know the boletal yeah, yeah. yeah and i remember that i i love to play soccer so i just pateaba i play with with the fruit but this mushroom have like 15 meters or so and this is very big and this is very ancient so is these mushrooms have like i don't know maybe 16 years 17 years maybe 100 years with the tree right because with the pine and i think this is interesting and when you put this concept in the forest is like that complex like what i don't know i feel so ignorant the more things you know about mushrooms the more you feel you don't know anything and, and, yeah, and, and yeah. one time I remember in the forest, I found a igrosive. I don't know, igrosive. Agrosive, yeah. I grow, yeah, the That was the first time. And I feel like an explorer, you know, like a people that this is like the first time some human have seen this kind of beauty. Well, I feel I don't know any about them. And I think this is the, the way they are like very mysterious maybe they're yes. very mysterious like you you really don't know how much their presence there as i've done more and more of the interviews for this podcast i've realized how much i don't know about mushrooms how many more questions i have and then yeah. hearing even scientists who have studied these for their whole lives 
we don't know anything. I mean, we really don't know why they pop up where they do. There's so, so much left to learn. And that's why I think what you're getting at and what I'm getting at is it's just this such a mysterious, almost alien organism that we live with that is unknowable. And anytime we're faced with something we don't know, you know, there's certain personalities, which I think people who are into mushrooms share this, is we're fascinated by that unknown. And we want to know more and to interact with it more. And by interacting with the mushroom, by looking at it and finding it and growing it into pots like you do, it feels like we're getting to know it. And that's really satisfying in a way that we feel like we're developing a relationship with this thing that is so different and so alien to us. As kids, we all want to meet aliens. And when we're, we're spending time with mushrooms, it feels like we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really enjoy the way you you, you express these ideas. He's, he's like that, I, I 100%. <laughs> well, we just went very big with big ideas and concepts, but there is another thing that Mycomaker's doing that I want to cover. And that was some of the early projects you guys did with growing mushrooms from flower pots. And that's not growing the flower pots like you're doing now for research, but actually you developed a cultivation technique of growing oysters out of just a flower pot. Can you tell us a little bit about that and uh, what you hoped to achieve with that project? Yeah, that was like the first product that we made. In that time, like if you are a biologist and do you make a product, it's like not that good, you know. But mm-hmm. the spirit or the or the experience that we want to share, I really lived in in Yasuni in I don't know 2015 or something like that. I found Lentinus, Lentinus concavus. I don't know. It's like a pleurotoid mushroom, very white and, and very very strong cap. Mm-hmm. And I just go to the forest. I found this log with very small primordia, white primordia, and for five days in Yasuni, which didn't rain for five days. Okay, so very, it's a very dry environment, which is not actually normal, right? Yeah. To, to Yasuni, but that night I put it in the in the map, and that night rains a lot. Like the, the sky is, is going down, very very big rain, and then the the next day I go to this place. And this primordial, normally they grow like, I don't know, in, in oyster mushroom, they grow like two days, maybe three fast. to seven days. Yeah. Uh-huh, very fast. But in 12 hours with this scenario, they grow the mature, the whole thing in 12 hours. So to me it was like, what? Like the feeling, the experience that was very, very impacting for, for myself. So that impact we wanted to put in a product, in a project. That was the the flower pot that you said, and it is really not a efficient product because if you have I don't know one one kilogram of mycelium, you can expand it, you can do a lot of things with it. But we wanted to bring a very very strong mycelium so that people can relieve this this kind of experience of fruiting a very very rapid fruiting process. And that experience was amazing. So we did this pot, like, uh, how do you do? Growing kits, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the growing is like is like that, but in a pot. People eat a lot of more connect to the plants than right. to the, a mushroom. So putting in the in a flower pot is like maybe interesting to connect with other thing that is not a plant. So that was the thing about that that little project. 
Yeah, and I definitely think that it makes it more accessible to people. And I got that from reading about the project was that it made it very accessible. People could bring the flower pot into their home and it would just sprout up these big mushrooms quickly. It's like that that idea of communication, of, of science communication to people to make yeah. people start caring more about fungi because that's kind of step one at the heart of a lot of the work people like yourself do is getting people to care about fungi. And another piece of work that fascinated me was your work with Rishi. And I want to make sure I'm understanding this right, but it sounded like you were able to graft Primordia onto mycelium, which I've never heard of anyone doing. A lot of people know about plant grafting, where you graft the rootstock uh, with a different kind of tree, or you can take a tree and graft different fruit branches on it, and it'll grow all these different fruits. So grafting is a, a well-worn idea, but I've never heard of someone doing it with mushrooms. Yeah, I also haven't heard it, but I don't know if, if it is correct to put in that name, like graft, because mm -hmm. a friend of mine explained me the implants, right? So maybe you want to aprovechar to get advantage of a, a root system of one plant yeah, and then put yeah. another thing and, and gain some time. So we did this with oysters. We wanted to do it with, with reishi because if it works with oysters, could work with, with other mushrooms because it's the same species. And because of that, I don't know if we can call it that. I released this video and some mycologist who is more related to genetics here in Ecuador, he, he write to me and we are going to study this more deeply because it is the same species. So the thing that we made is we have two separate bags of the same species. When one of them have primordia, I just cut a little bit the primordia and put the primordia in the other, in the other bag, which is the same species, right? And then he accepted. I was very excited because I have never done that before. And the mycelium, the mother mycelium accepted, or the Patreon, I think they call it the El Patron, accept this primordia. And then it flows the energy of the mycelium through this primordia, which was from another mycelium. Same species, but another bug. And this is very interesting because we always, people sometimes ask if, there is in nature some kind of hybridism or if you can found a, a yellow and a pink oyster that mix in nature or something like that the answer could be no could be right because it's strange we have made some experiments putting oysters white oyster and, and gray oysters and they fruit by day in the field where they touch the, the mycelium okay yeah. you can see these exudados these liquid in a petri dish you'll see those different metabolites and different liquids yeah, coming exactly. out where they meet on the petri dish yeah yeah so this is like defensive uh, ways to see other things right so they don't connect they just defend their territories and then they fruit with the the energy that they have but they don't mix so it's interesting to me to try this this technique and see what happens maybe with Esteban, we want to, to do this with other species or other strains of the same species could be interesting. And, and also in a productive way could be interesting too, because sometimes the primordia don't come so fast. You can have your, your techniques like putting less the temperature shock, right? right. And this kind of, or, or light or other kind of techniques or strategies. But this mycelium really 
took really accept this primordia very fast. So the fructification process was was faster. And with mycotecture, it could be interesting too because the leather, mushroom leather, in some techniques you can do it with with the the fruit of ratio of the fruits of growing them in some small areas and stuff. This is one way to to see it. And if you can put primordia where you want, right. it's interesting. Huh? Oh, it's it's insanely interesting and one of the big things i think of is if there's a way to do it across species now this yeah. gets into the area of should we be hybridizing mushrooms like that Did it, but i think it's exciting <laughs> because could you take a robust mycelium like an oyster mushroom or a, a species that's a very robust mycelium and pair it with the primordia of a fruiting body that might not have as strong a mycelium and either accelerate fruiting or make it harder and continue fruiting longer because the mycelium lasts longer. Yeah. That has huge, huge implications, much the same way it does with plants. Like you're saying, you take advantage of the root system, a better root system to make the fruit come out better. This is the yeah. same idea. Instead of roots, we're talking mycelium. And mycelium. instead of apples, we're talking fruit bodies of a mushroom. But I just, my imagination went wild with that. And I've just yeah. never heard anyone doing it before. So you guys have, you've been able to partner with someone who's going to help you research that. Yeah, yeah. Because we do a lot of mycelium work, but genetics is an amazing thing to study. And this friend have a, a very strong profile in, in genetics that is interesting in these kind of studies. It's That's important. going to be yeah. really useful. Yeah, especially when yeah. you're going to see what can mix with what. Maybe there's something where there might be a different species, but they're close enough genetically where that maybe is where you start. There are things like that 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 come to my mind. I had to bring that up with you because it's fascinating. I think in, in the past five years ago, I mm. feel really demotivated because of they have a lot of studies and a lot of the researches in plant kingdom, in animal kingdom, you know, and not in mushroom that we have a lot to, to study. And I, right now, I feel like it's a great opportunity to, to find, to discover a lot, a lot of things that haven't been discovered. So this is very exciting, very exciting. And like I said, this is a big thing in the United States right now, getting into mushrooms. People are exploring it more and more. It's more popular than ever. So I love hearing that in Ecuador and other places around the world, people are having this same awakening. And yeah. it's, you know, one of the other things we were talking about mushrooms and what they mean to us. To me, mushrooms have a big uh, theme or a big energy around connection. And I always think mushrooms bring people together, people who are interested in mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the mushrooms are connecting with everything in the ecosystem. Uh, so it's like we are all connected, even across the world on this topic. It just gives me hope to know that there's enough people working on it where we're going to get where we need to go. It feels like it's one of the best times to get involved with it is, you know, well, the best time was probably five years ago, but the second best times right now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's right. I don't know if you, you hear it, but Julie from yeah. Chile, yeah. she said, it's time to, well, uh, she said mycelium mode. We are in mycelium mode. Mode mycelia, they say, yeah. Uh, we are in mycelium mode. So all connected, all sharing, all communicating. Absolutely. And as another question here, how have people in Ecuador, how has your community responded to your work? Uh, I just talked about the U.S. being 
all obsessed with mushrooms now. And But are people in Ecuador really interested, even if they're not biologists or mycologists like yourself? Are you finding that people are really interested to learn about mushrooms and fungi? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we have a lot of contact with biology, like scientists, but in our workshops, we have doctors, medical people, we have lawyers, we have artists, we have a lot of different profiles. And I think microchecture is a thing that helps us to share the, the mushroom magic, the magic of mushrooms with more with more efficiency. I don't know how to sell it, but uh, better, uh, easier. It's very yeah. easy to, to connect, to transmit these kind of feelings to other people that really don't understand or really doesn't really know the, the kingdom. And I think the forest, the field trips is one of the best ways of blowing the, the people's minds, <laughs> but also my microchecture because in order to explore or build something from mycelium, you need to know what is mycelium. And if you know what is mycelium, it is boom, it's like another alien. It's like an alien thing to the people. So this is very powerful. Microchecture is helping us to, to really impact the people's life, not biologists, like any, any kind of people really. It's very interesting, yeah. yeah. You're finding through all the work you're doing the best ways to communicate that appreciation and passion you have about mycelium to everyday people. That's step one in this huge journey that everyone into mushrooms is on right now is getting more and more people on the team. That's how we're gonna really start to see big changes and big new ideas that we can all benefit from is more and more people getting into it. It might be that lawyer, that doctor who comes to your workshop or goes out in the forest that gets inspired and he starts looking into it and he discovers something. And that's something that I've gotten really excited about because the mushroom hour was just about inspiring people to get outside and look at mushrooms. And I've yep. seen a lot of people since I've started who now know more about mushrooms than I do. So you just get them into it and they get obsessed and they go their own direction and discover something amazing. So that I, I'm really happy to hear that you guys are seeing the same thing with what you're doing in Ecuador. Is there anything else we should know about Mycomaker projects? And do you want to tell us about anything you're going to do you guys are planning for the future? I know right now is a crazy time in the world and it's hard for any of us to know what's coming up in the next month or two but what are some of the big future uh, projects you guys have planned there at Mycomaker? Yeah well first if you want to to help us to support us we just bring up the a Patreon account so we wanted to to share better and more uh, content in about microchecture about the things that we do so patreon.com slash micromaker if you want to help us uh, support us and one project that is very very i very like is microtexturas microtextures like textures right the last year we was the first of these expositions interactive expositions that we share and this is an event in which all the people that we that we taught how to do microtexture artists designers architects in our own team and we gather products that they have made mm -hmm. in one night, in one in one place, and we bring this show, interactive show, in an educational way. And 2019 was amazing. I, we have helped another industrial designer help us to do this, and it was amazing because they really know how to connect, how to do these kind of things. 
and people enjoy it, people love it. So in this year, we are going to do it, I don't know if live or digital, right? I don't know, <laughs> but we are definitely going to repeat it this year. So this is something that is interesting because if we do this in a digital way, you are all invited, my friends. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should be there. Yeah. Whether it's digital or not, we should all be there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the kind of thing that gets me really excited to hear about. You know, we have in San Francisco, but all over the United States, we have what are called maker fairs where people make things, you know, that are interesting or new. And it's like, yes, of course, we need a myco maker fair. It's just things that people are making with mycelium. It's amazing to hear you guys are doing that uh, because I think it is so important. It's one of the things that gets people really excited. Just a quick shout out there. You talked about the Patreon. I do encourage people to support you on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash mycomaker. You guys also have Instagram. Are there any other platforms you should know about? Are you guys on the TikTok or anything? <laughs> TikTok is, is interesting. I don't I don't know how, well, not, not in TikTok really, but in Facebook, we have a page. It is called Mycophilia, Mycophilia, right? Mycophilia. Yeah in which we share photos and stories about our trips in Ecuador. So this could be interesting too. Mycophilia, our page is going to, when we land this this thing, I will uh, send you an email to, to share it. When you guys launch the website, I definitely want you on for another show because we've just scratched the surface on a lot of these amazing topics. But I yeah, do yeah. really encourage people to go support you because you are right there in Ecuador in the seat of biodiversity and mushroom yeah, diversity. Yeah. And as much as all of us are so interested in it, especially as people that are really into mushrooms and know a lot about mushrooms, we need to support people like yourself who are doing the project right there in this place of biodiversity so we can start learning more and you know it benefits everyone i guess is what i'm trying to say by supporting you guys to explore the biodiversity hotspot that is ecuador and discover all these amazing mushrooms we are all enriched by it so thank you for letting us know where we can support you well before we finish up i always like to ask my guests a few questions that i think give us a little more window into who they are uh, what is a mushroom that you love that we should know about and why? It doesn't have to be a favorite mushroom, just a mushroom that you think is amazing, whether it's a material, food, whatever, a mushroom you think is amazing and why we should know about it. Oh, that's, um, let me see. Maybe Seatus, Seatus. Seatus is very nice, a very charming, maybe a very charismatic fruit they have a very charismatic fruit and it's very interesting to see how they interact with water with rain and this is the the egg well in spanish we call it nido de pájaro nido de pájaro bird nest bird nest fungi yeah of course yeah. i think this mushroom can show the very diverse strategies that mushrooms have developed to uh, Reproduce. release spores or uh, reproduce or disperse and it's very interesting because if you have a, a normal well agarical uh, a normal these kind of mushrooms uh, they have gills they have pores they have other stuff and this peridiolos these things that they just drop they are very interesting to know yeah that's a very good point the bird's nest fungi is just another example of all the different strategies fungi employ to reproduce and spread and get their spores out there 
But I'm sure, yeah, you could have just given us a rundown of so many amazing cordyceps. We'll definitely do that at some point. Um, as another question, what would you tell an 18-year-old Nelson, knowing all you know now and where you've been on your journey, what would you tell to 18-year-old Nelson as some advice? 18 years old, I, I was in the high school. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. I would love to guide myself in the forest. I would love to do that. I would love to guide today's Nelson to 18 years old Nelson to guide in a, in a Mashpio and some kind of places because these Nelson haven't heard any of about mushrooms and it could be interesting. I would do that. Yeah. That's a great answer. Is you go back and tell 18 year old Nelson about all the amazing mushrooms you discovered and get him out into the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the last question here, and this is another big one is what is the lasting impact that you hope to have on your community, on the world, with, with the work you're doing? What is the lasting impact you hope to have with your work and with MycoMaker? I think we want to change the perception that we that our community have about mushrooms because, and, and the project started like that, because people thought about mushrooms, they are, mushrooms are drugs, mushrooms are in the pizza, and mushrooms are in our feet, and that is really not it. So right. the last impact is that we want to, to change the perception of the people, of the normal, well, no, not normal, but the, the community, the, the society, because it is wrong. The perception that they have about mushroom is wrong. And I think our work is in a little changing the perception. And I think that's, I don't know if lasting impact, but that is an impact that we want to, to do, yeah. That's one of the biggest impacts you can have. And that's really part of the great work for people exploring fungi right now is to get mainstream society and everybody to have at least the same general appreciation that we do and not think of foot fungus pizza or drugs when they think of mushrooms but to think of all the amazing cordyceps you're finding the bioluminescent mushrooms the things you're making with them the way they're going to clean up our environment i mean that's that's the great work so if you have that impact well you're doing an amazing job yeah, thank you. Well, thank Nelson, you. well, thank you so much for being on the show, for sharing your time with us, but also your energy and who you are and being really open. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I look forward to more shows in the future. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for having me, for having us, uh, like, like the project, right? And I really enjoy communicating too. So this is very interesting to try to to connect with people and I think you do it very well. Yep. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think you do a great job yourself. So until next time, my friend. Yeah.